good morning. Welcome to everyone watching in the venue and those watching online at carneyefree.com. My name's Adrian, and it's great to be with you today. If you're a newcomer here, though, this morning, I extend a special welcome to you and would love to meet you after the service. Thanks for choosing to join us. I know there's a hundred places you can go on a Sunday, no church at all, but you chose to be here. We're grateful, though, that you chose to be here with us today and choose to worship and pray you have an opportunity to connect with God uh, this morning. I'm grateful for Brady Cohn and that ministry, Calibrate Ministries. It's one of our supported missionaries. We have a number of missionaries that we support through Carney E. Free Outreach, and Brady is just one of those. But that verse that he quoted is, to me, one of the most hopeful verses in all of Scripture. There's a long list of all different kinds of vices there in 1 Corinthians 6, all of which we would find our names on. Maybe we wouldn't find our name on all of them, but we would certainly find our names on one of them in this long list in 1 Corinthians 6. And then it says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were washed. And the same great message of hope and grace and redemption that is offered to us is offered to each and every person that we meet. And I'm grateful for Brady's message there as that relates to the issues of our day and people's need for the grace of God no matter where they are. Amen? Let's pray, and we will jump into this morning's message. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for a sweet time of worship. So great to sing to you. So great to behold your great name and to worship you for who you are, the great I am, and to trust and faith that you are not done with us, and you're going to do great things in us and through us once again. Father, we are at times messy, and yet at the same time, we are beautiful, and we're your church. We thank you, Father, that you have given your son Jesus, and Jesus has built the church, and we get to be a part of a beautiful church like this one. And while we've brought in all different kinds of things to church this morning, we do want to hear from your word, and so we ask, God, that you would settle our hearts, you would focus our minds, that we could receive from you today, and perhaps we could grow together as a church family. Thank you, Father, for bringing each of us here this morning. We love you, and we ask your special grace on the entirety of our church family, particularly those who are struggling here today. We'll be careful to give you all praise and all that we say and do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is it me or are the lights way down in here? Can we get them up or not today? Is there an issue there? Or are we having technical difficulties? Is, is it me? Or, okay, maybe it's just me. Okay, some are saying no. All right, carry on, carry on. My apologies if you're a newcomer. Normally we don't have lighting issues. Again, maybe it's just me. <laughs> All right, imagine with me here as we start though this morning, imagine with me that your long lost uncle suddenly died and surprise, surprise, he's left quite an inheritance for you in his will. And you didn't know him very well, you gathered together from time to time at a few family reunions, but you didn't have a close relationship with him and so you're shocked to learn that not only has he included you in his will, but he's left you $10 million. I'm wondering if you get this news 
and you know that it is reliable, the lawyers have told you so, would your life begin to change? Would you begin to see things a little bit differently? My guess is you'll start to notice new cars that you want. And perhaps you'll start shopping for one pretty quickly. You might be driving around town, you'll notice bigger and better houses that you would really like. Though there are no bigger or better houses on the market these days. Maybe you'll even notice that there's a new group of friends that are hanging around you all of a sudden. Maybe there's a new lady who's hanging around you all of a sudden. Maybe you notice that the whole of your world, the whole of your outlook is beginning to change because of what you anticipate is coming to you in the coming weeks or months. It hasn't yet arrived, but the future reality of that inheritance is changing the way you look at the present. Now my question for you is simple this morning. Does your future inheritance change the way you look at the present? Does your future inheritance change the way you look at the present? Do you have a newfound and different hope because of the reality of your future inheritance? Because you know Christ as Savior, you believe that your future inheritance is sure, does that change the way you see things right now? We're going to talk though this morning about hope, and I want to talk about a couple things. Now, number one, why we have really good biblical reasons to hope, even in the midst of the exile that we are living in today. And I want to talk now, number two, about concrete ways that we can grow in hope, concrete ways we can grow in optimism, how we can encourage each other toward hope even today. What is hope? Uh, hope is not a wish. Hope is a focus on the present in light of the future that we believe to be true. Do you hear that? Hope is a focus on the present in light of the future that we believe will be true. It's a confident trust that those lawyers are going to deliver on the will that Uncle Jim wrote. In a word, hope is really optimistic. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 in your Bibles, or if you're using one of the church apps, that's great. But 1 Peter chapter 1, you'll find toward the back of your Bible, if you get to Revelation, just turn back about 20 pages to 1 Peter. If you get over to James or to Hebrews, you've gone a little bit too far to the left. If you get to 2 Peter, you've gone a little bit too far to the right. But 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be, just six verses this morning. And I think what we'll find in 1 Peter 1 is that we can be optimistic because our future relativizes our present. We are optimistic, my friends, because our future reality has a way to relativize, to make more manageable, to make even smaller our present painful realities, whatever they might be. Okay, so the, the pain of the present moment is like a pebble compared to the glory of the mountain of heaven that awaits us. Do you believe that today? Once again, all the letters in the New Testament are written to local churches just like this one. They're all written to local churches. After you get through the book of Acts, everything else is written to local churches like this one. Indeed, the book of Acts is all about the formation of local churches like this one. And they have these themes that are running through them, such as the church is messy and the church is beautiful because it's made up of ordinary people just like us. And we find that in 1 Peter. 
It also has these themes running through them that include the themes of hope in the midst of great suffering, especially so in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is one of the most painful circumstances that any of the apostles is writing into when they're writing their letters. And yet, hope shines like this beautiful diamond on the backdrop of blackness behind the churches that Peter is writing to. 1 Peter 1, just verses 1 and 2 here to start. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. What a greeting this is. It's from the Apostle Peter, who of course was one of the inner three with Jesus, spent the most time with Jesus, along with a couple others, of all others that walked with him during his earthly sojourn. He says, this is the Apostle Peter writing to these churches in Northwest Asia, and he's trying to tell them that you are elect. You are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. God sees that you will respond to him, and he beloves you. He loves you before you're even created. You are the beloved of God, chosen by God, cared for by God, even as you are in exile. He says they're exiles, they're sojourners, they're aliens in this strange world that they are walking through a very strange world where they will experience great suffering. Now, they're exiles for a number of different reasons. The Jews amongst them are second-class citizens within the Roman Empire. Christians amongst them, the church is Christians, of course, those who are followers of Christ Um, They're second-class citizens, even worse than second-class citizens, because they will not in any way bow down to Emperor Nero. And Nero is on the scene now. It's about 62 to 65 AD, and he is about to unleash the greatest program of persecution that the church has ever seen. And Peter's telling his church, you're exiles. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. You live in the city of man, but you also live in the city of God. And in the city of man, in this kingdom, there's going to be great pain. But remember, this world is not your home. This kingdom, this nation, this state, this city, this is not your home. You're just exiles walking through this for a short number of years. He's giving them identity language that their true citizenship is in heaven and they are chosen by God. This would have been really, really good news, really timely news for these churches because again, Emperor Nero is starting to burn Christians at the stake. Okay? The Apostle Peter is about to be crucified upside down. Nero has invented this new method of torture called Roman candles. It's not a firecracker. Okay, that was invented later. A Roman candle was someone who would not bow 
to Nero as Lord, i.e., all the Christians who refused to bow to Nero as Lord, and they were lit on a pyre for people to see in the villages and the cities that they lived in. That was a Roman candle. And so these words from Peter are critical that they would hear, you are exiles in this world, but you are still beloved of God. And friends, we got to hear that, that as we're suffering in this world, that suffering is no indication that we are any less beloved of God. It was timely for them because they lived in existence that we will never touch. But it's timely for us, I believe, as well, because it's really easy to get pessimistic today also, isn't it? Like, we're living in a time that it's very easy to get pessimistic right now. We've heard nonstop news of COVID for two years, and we're tired of it. Okay, it's timely for us because depending on the TV station or the radio station you listen to, you'll be led to believe that the state of Nebraska is going to be underwater because the polar ice caps are melting sometime in the next few days. Or you might listen to another broadcast, and they're going to tell you that the government is seeking to take down all the churches. Or you might listen to another one, and they're going to tell you that inflation is now 70%. And I know it kind of feels that way, but it's only 7%. Okay, it does feel that way. Like, there's a lot of reason to be pessimistic today. You go to your local furniture store, and you order a new sofa in January, and they tell you you will not get that sofa until March of 2023, (laughs) right? Like it's easy to get pessimistic. You ordered bone-in buffalo wings for your big Super Bowl party and the grocery store had the gall to deliver you boneless wings. I I, I talk to some people today and and they, they tell me, I've heard people say, listen, whether it be cancer or COVID or Alzheimer's, we're all gonna die, so like what's the point? It's pessimistic. I talk to others who are like, no matter what I do, I have this constant knot of anxiety in my belly and it will not go away. I talk to others who say, no matter how hard I try, I cannot beat my grandma in Wordle. <laughs> okay, I tried. Like, it's, it's just super easy to be pessimistic today, right? It's really easy to get negative today, but this world is not there is. If this world was all there is, I would be pessimistic, but I'm not because this world is not all there is. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials." Like, again, what he's saying is the promise of future glory relativizes and makes smaller the reality of our present pain. 
Here's another way that we put it on your outline. The pain of exile is small compared to the inheritance of glory. The pain of our current exile in this world is small compared to the inheritance of our future glory. And the inheritance of future glory has a way of making present pain more manageable so long as we are keeping the future in our minds on a regular basis. Verses 3 and 4. In his great mercy, Jesus Christ has given us new birth. God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. New birth into living hope. Ooh, I want some of that. New birth into living hope. How? Why? Because the resurrection. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened. It's a fact of history. And because he lives, we shall really live. His kingdom has come. And we get to live in his kingdom more and more, even now. We get to be a part of bringing his kingdom as we pray for it, as we live into it. New birth into not a dead hope, but a living hope that will not spoil or fade or perish. Our hope through this exile is not in our inner fortitude. Yes, we need to develop inner fortitude to live in exile, but that's not ultimately our hope. Our hope in this exile is not a vague wish that eventually things will get a little bit better. Our hope is not in more pleasures or comforts that would come back our way. Our hope is not that we've even turned a corner on COVID and eventually now perhaps things will get back to normal. I'd like that. I would. I'd like that very much. But I like that about this much compared to my hope of heaven. And some of us have our eyes on the wrong thing. Some of us have our eyes on this little thing instead of the hope of heaven. And after this little thing, there will be another little thing, right? You, get to, you got to put your eyes in the right place. Our living hope is based on a fact of history that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And it results in an inheritance that will never fade or perish or spoil. So the inheritance that we're going to get from God is not like the inheritance that we get from family that results in family squabbles. The inheritance what we're going to get from God is not like the inheritance that we would get from family that we go ahead and spend on luxuries that will quickly rust or lose their value. It's not like that. It's an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. It's different. Again, verse 4, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now the question is, do you believe that your inheritance is secure? You really need to ask yourself that. We are all wise to regularly ask ourselves, do we believe that our inheritance in heaven is secure? That it's kept in heaven, that it's shielded by God's power, and the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead will also shield your faith until you get to heaven. And the way you can know that your, that your inheritance is secure is this, that you are actively living for Christ. You're not passively riding on the coattails of your parents. You're not passively riding on the coattails of culture or of the church. You're actively living for Christ. 
You can have a confidence that your inheritance is secure if you know that you have given your life to Christ, that he has come in and he has saved you by grace through faith, and now you are treating him as Lord. Meaning just in the same way as those first century Christians would not bow to Nero, you do not bow to money. You do not bow to human approval. You do not bow to your boss ultimately. You do not bow to the waves and winds of ever-changing culture. Are you with me? You can be sure that your inheritance is secure if you acknowledge Christ as Savior and Lord over every inch of your life, over every day. If you treat him as Lord, you can be sure that your inheritance is safe. Then the result is verse 6. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. In all these trials that you're going through, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, you still greatly rejoice because your inheritance is kept secure. You have a living hope in spite of the challenges that you're going through. Secular hope is wishing for temporary pleasure. I'll say it again. Secular hope is wishing for temporary pleasure, for temporary comforts. That is secular hope. Christian hope is knowing that I will be permanently rescued. Secular hope is temporary. Christian hope is a permanent trust in rescue. And Christian hope vastly changes the way we live right now. If we're confident enough in our heavenly citizenship, then the result will be that we really kind of envision this place We'll look at what the scriptures tell us about heaven. We'll go to Revelation and many other passages that the scripture teaches about heaven and we'll envision though, this place where there's no more anger. We'll envision a place where there's no more prejudice. We'll envision a place where there's no more death or dying or pain or mourning anymore. We'll envision a place that is all about worship because it's all about God and there is no selfishness. And we will pray as in the Lord's Prayer Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in my life, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in this city, in this state, as it's always done in heaven, such that I will work and I will pray against prejudice. I will work and I will pray against anger. I will work and I will pray for healing in relationships because God wants more of heaven to come down to earth, amen? And he would do that through ordinary folks like you and me who are living for heaven, saying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want more of what you want done here in my life. I was at a denominational conference Uh, about a week ago, a theology conference that was just tremendous for me, so very stimulating with a number of other pastors from the denomination that that we are a part of called the EFCA. And one of the best speakers at the conference was a gentleman by by the name of Dr. David Powell. And Dr. Powell is a professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's one of the greatest New Testament scholars in the entire world. And he gave a beautiful talk about how our posture to this world changes as a result of the hope that we have within us. That our anger changes 
because of the hope that we have within us right now. And at the end of his talk on the power of hope, there was a man who raised his hand in the audience. There was a question and answer session. Another one of the pastors in the room raised his hand and he said, okay, Dr. Powell, this is all wonderful, but can you please tell us of a time that people saw your hope and they asked you why things were different for you. They asked you about your hope. It was kind of a question like, okay, do you practice what you preach? I was wondering, like, is he challenging him? I don't know if you've had that kind of question, but it's kind of hard to come up with something in the moment. Like, how is your life actually different? How is your hope actually different because of the reality of Christ's work in your life? And Dr. Powell said this. He said, 25 years ago, my first wife died of cancer. And we were in graduate school together, and she suddenly came down with cancer. And it was a deeply painful, obviously, terribly grievous experience, and we got to know the oncologist quite well. And after this battle with cancer, and after knowing the oncologist for six or seven months, my wife died. And the oncologist took me aside, and he said to me, I want you to know, David, that I'm going into full-time ministry in addition to my medical work. And Dr. Powell said, why? What, why are you going into full-time ministry, he said, I have watched you and your wife over these past six months, and I've seen something remarkably different. As you have grieved, as you have hoped, and as she has died, I have seen a completely different hope from you than I've almost ever seen before. And I see that it's the power of Christ in you. Mic drop, anyone? Wow. Okay, what happened there? In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Then always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that lies within you. Because people will ask. And do this with gentleness and respect. You see, people are desperate to see hope. And those who are most heavenly minded, to quote C.S. Lewis, are of most earthly good. Those who are most heavenly minded are of most earthly good because they have hope in a different place which relativizes their sufferings here and now, enables them to manage the challenges that will inevitably come for all of us and changes the posture through which we look at everything we deal with on a day in and day out basis. That's what Dr. Powell experienced. That's what his wife lived out. And so this other doctor sees it and they say, I want what you have got. Friends, how about you? Can people see your hope? Can people see your hope such that they would ask you about it? Can people see your optimism in the future such that they would ask you about it? This changes everything with respect to our present lives. It changes the way we see money. It changes the way we see human approval because neither of those will be in heaven. 
It changes the way we see different kinds of people because we will remember that heaven is filled with all different kinds of people. And Revelation tells us, Revelation 7 tells us, that around the throne in heaven will be people from every tribe and nation and tongue. And so we'll care for every different kind of people as a result of this hope. It changes our anger to patience. It changes the way we think of people we don't like such that we would not gossip about people we don't like because we remember those people we don't like have eternal value to God, that God wants them as well. We won't want to objectify people by looking at pornography of people because they're people. Those are women made in the image and likeness of God. Those are men made in the image and likeness of God. We won't need to use people. Instead, we'll want to love people because all people have this eternal destiny just as we do. We will suffer, and that's okay because that's part of living in exile, isn't it? You just kind of get ready for it. You're either coming out of suffering, you're in suffering, or you're going into suffering. Happy Sunday. <laughs> this is part of living in exile. We will suffer, and that's okay. It's made smaller by our future hope. It's made more manageable by our future hope. I hate it too, trust me. I'm not making light of it. I hate it as well. But I can tell you that I can manage it better today than I could have 10 years ago because I'm thinking more about heaven. Friends, do you know that optimism and pessimism are both contagious? Do you know that? Like people will see your pessimism and they will eat it up and then they'll reflect it. People will see your optimism, and they'll eat it up, and then they'll reflect it to others. That's the way it happens. Both of these are contagious. And we have so many great reasons to be optimistic, knowing that we have a future that is permanently secure. We're all going to go through cloudy days, and that's okay, I'm not giving anyone any reason for shame. We talk about that often in this room. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay if you're not okay in this room right now. There's no shame in that at all. But there should be something different to the Christian over the course of time. There should be something different about our countenance because of the faith, hope, and love that are resident inside of us. Amen. Here at Carnegie Free, we like to say this, every person matters. Say that with me. Would you please join me in the venue too? Every person matters. Like, do we really believe that when we come to church on Sunday morning? That every person matters. That every single person I look eyes with, they matter greatly to God. God created them on, on purpose. They're made in the image of God. They're um, offered redemption through Jesus Christ, and they will live for all of eternity. They matter more than I can possibly imagine, so how will I treat them? Will I smile at them? Like, doesn't it make you kind of smile when someone looks you in the eyes and they show you that you matter to them? Like, I'm just, for me, just to say these words, every person matters, makes me smile. 
When I look at you and I think, this person matters, she is made in the image and likeness of God, it makes me smile. I'd like to suggest this without meddling too much. If we're an optimistic church, in case I'm not already meddling, <laughs> if we're an optimistic church together, that's what I'm trying to propose, we're an optimistic and hopeful, and, and, and hopeful church together. If we're an optimistic church together, could we like really go out of our way to look at each other in the eyes, to smile at each other, to be curious about each other's lives. Because I promise you, every Sunday you come in here, there's people here that are incredibly lonely. There's people here who are longing to know, do I matter? And those who have the hope of heaven can show those people they matter by the way we live that out visually in our smile with them. You know, neuroscientists tell us that our brain actually operates at six cycles per second. The right side of our brain is cycling six times per second, scanning the room, looking for smiles. That part of the brain operates faster than the rational left side of the brain. So before you're taking in the information that hopefully is pretty decent that I'm giving to you, you're seeing if I care about you. That's the way God made us. And we're all in that same boat. We're looking for others who will show, do I matter? Do I matter to them? I asked my younger son three or four weeks ago, um, is there someone you can think about at church, Silas, who is just so consistently kind to you? Not your family, but someone else at church that is so consistently kind to you. And because they're so kind to you, whenever you see that person, that person lifts your spirit and they make you smile. And my son didn't have to think too long, but before he mentioned the name of one of our eFree security team members, a guy with a gun. <laughs> and I said, why is that, Silas? He said, because he smiles at me and he asks about my life and I can tell he cares. I can tell he cares, Dad. And I know that man, and that man has experienced suffering. And yet he has a living hope and an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. And I've witnessed how that man is growing in the power of the resurrection of Christ. And so it naturally comes out of him, even toward a 10-year-old who cannot do anything for that man. You see the difference this makes? Be so heavenly-minded that we can be of more earthly good. We live in the story that we are created in the image and the likeness of God. That God chose to create you out of love. And even so, you fell into sin just like I did. We all fell into selfishness, but God out of love said he wasn't done with us. And so he sends his one and only son named Jesus to come and die for us, to bring us to God the Father. He resurrected far from the grave and he lives forevermore. And after he ascended to heaven, he decided to launch this thing called the Beloved Community. 
The beloved community is called the church. And he invites ordinary folks like you and me into that beloved community where there is always hope. And the church will at times be a beautiful mess. And the church will at times have much trouble. But Jesus says, in spite of that, there is peace in me. In this world, you will have trouble. But in me, take heart. I have overcome this world. In me, there is peace. And we know that in this beloved community with Christ as our head, with an inheritance that is sure, we have an inheritance that's way better than $10 million fell from your uncle. We have an inheritance that will last. And we live with hope. We live with optimism out of that. And as we do, looking toward a better future, it enables us to live with greater trust in this present moment, no matter how frustrating it might get. The reality of our future relativizes the pain of our present moment. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father in heaven, how we thank you that you are so good to us that you have given your Son to be our Savior and your Son to be our Lord. And through him, through his death and his resurrection, we have a living hope. Father, I'm asking for our entire church that we would live more and more in this hope that will never spoil or fade or perish. And Father, as a result of living in this, we would have a newfound optimism in spite of the pain that we feel, in spite of the many different reasons that we would have to be pessimistic in this world, we would not allow those to have control over our minds or our hearts. We don't just wish for more pleasure. We don't just wish for more comfort. We hope in God. We hope in the reality of what is to come. And we trust in you through our present experiences. God, would you give us strength with whatever we're dealing with today? And would you give us optimism to love each other well, to live as you taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, here on earth, here in Nebraska, here in Kearney, as it's always done in heaven. May your will be done in our lives because we are living for the life to come. In Christ's name, amen.